and welcome to another episode of the View from the Lab podcast. My name is Andy Woods. In today's episode, I talk to Pratesh Raichura, who teaches at the world-famous Michaela School in North London, sometimes referred to as England's strictest school. We have a wide-ranging chat delving into what makes the culture at Michaela so unique and how it enables their students to make astonishing progress during their time there. Pratesh is the head of the science department in the school and manages 12 other science teachers. He talks through their approach to learning and how teachers there work collaboratively to produce consistently excellent lessons. Pratesh is a fantastic advocate for science teaching and direct instruction for improving student understanding of science. Let's not wait any longer, it's time to hear his view from the lab. I know you teach science, but what was your experience growing up? And what made you go into science? Was it a subject teacher? Was it just a natural curiosity? Was it a parent? What was it that really intrigued you about science that made you continue with it past the age of 16? <laughs> Great question. Um, I think one of the things I definitely remember growing up was watching lots of Attenborough documentaries. Um, and my dad absolutely loves Attenborough. So I think that's definitely something I got from him. And we used to watch various shows that Attenborough would release together. Um, and I just enjoyed science at school a lot. Um, I, as you say, just was very naturally curious about how the world works, how the body works, how different living organisms come together. And uh, so, yeah, it's definitely a mix of parents. I had some I had brilliant teachers as well. I particularly remember in year eight and nine, I had a teacher called Miss Mitchell, who was just so passionate about science and I just loved her lesson so much. So if she's listening, then... Hello, Miss Mitchell. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Mitchell. Uh, Hopefully she's still around, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a combination of all of those things. Uh, yeah, mainly love science. So I'm guessing by the sound of it, you, you went down the biological sciences route. Would it, would it be true? Are you going to say, no, I did quantum physics now at university? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was biological sciences, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And um, when you, um, so you grew, up, you grew up in Brent, is that that's correct, isn't it? Yeah, that's now, did right. You, yeah. Did you choose to go? Um, where did you go to university? Did you go, go to London? Did you go further uh, further away? What was your experience at university? How did you find your science experience um, uh, at university? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. So I was lucky enough to go to the University of Cambridge. Um, my teachers were very encouraging um, and persuaded me to apply. Um, I was delighted when I got the offer and I, I loved my experience there. So I studied natural sciences, but I basically, as you said before, chose all the biology modules when I was there. Um, and yeah, I thought it was really, it was a really great course because it's very much not only about the theory, but about how the, uh, the course was very much focused on what evidence there is that led us to the theory. Um, and so, yeah, it was a great course. I specialized in zoology in my third year, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, and yeah, and then I, once I finished university, um, I went straight into teaching. And um, it's funny, I should, you should mention Cambridge University because I was talking to somebody else on the podcast and they also went to Cambridge and did natural sciences. And I'll ask them the same question and I asked, asked them. Now, when you went to Cambridge, obviously Cambridge has got, you know, it's a world famous university. Uh, did you ever feel kind of, um, not threatened by that, but kind of um, unsure when you first came? Because I imagine when, if you go to Cambridge, you're obviously a hardworking, bright pupil. But when you arrive, there's a lot of other bright, hardworking pe people at, at, at Cambridge. Uh, did you ever feel kind of overwhelmed sometimes or did you kind of uh, take take to it like a duck to water, so to speak? Yeah, it was very, uh, it was a big shock to the system when I joined um, because people there were so incredibly knowledgeable and people knew, it felt like everyone knew what they were doing and I definitely felt out of my depth at the start. Um, but you kind of learn to adapt. Um, I was very lucky enough to have very supportive friends and family and 
um, supervisors and yeah eventually you get your head around what you're doing uh, but it was very difficult um, it's a big step up from school um, and the expectation to be incredibly independent and work extremely hard um, is there but I think that that definitely uh, is in many ways kind of is, is a great is a great way to kind of prepare you to, to, to become really independent um, kind of by throwing into the deep end um, so yeah it was very difficult um, but I enjoyed it thoroughly and I thought you know every kind of challenge in itself is quite rewarding so yeah I would say overall I definitely enjoyed it it was a good thing I also, I also have this perception of like the Ox, Oxbridge or Oxford and Cambridge interviews of asking really tricky questions can you remember what they asked you when you went up uh, during sick form did they ask you a particularly challenging question that you remember or was it all quite straightforward <laughs> Uh, no, it was quite tricky. I remember. So the the interviewer was uh, he was his kind of field was genetics and particularly microbiology. So he asked me something about DNA replication in bacteria, which I had not studied before at all. Um, but it's more kind of the prompts they give you and the, the hints they give you and uh, kind of how you work your way around that and just think out loud, really. Um, that it, it's less about whether you know the knowledge or not but more about how do you respond to the facts that they give you and are you able to kind of work out from the information they give you uh what what it is that the answer that they want you to arrive at um yeah i don't remember the details of it but i do remember it was about bacteria and there's something about hydrothermal vents um <laughs> more about the process of kind of solving the problem rather than necessarily knowing the specific knowledge they were they were um or, or people think they want to know it's more about the way of thinking do you think yeah, exactly. And just having the, the, just being able to think out loud and go, oh, actually, no, that's not right. Maybe this. Um, and it's a willingness to have a go, I think. And um, you went, went to the teaching after. So did, did you study in Cambridge or did you, did you go back to Brent to do your teacher training? Um, what did you feel like you'd had enough of Cambridge or what was, what was your next step? Where were you training? What kind of schools were you training in? So my entry route into teaching was teach first so I applied as soon as I entered my third year of uni um, I applied so that was when the application process started because I knew I wanted to be a teacher uh, since I was quite young actually um, and so I picked teach first because I because I was so sure I wanted to be in the classroom I wanted to kind of get into the classroom as quickly as possible and I know that in teach first you kind of come September you, you dive right in and you're teaching your classes um, so that's why I chose Teach First. Um, and then I was placed in, so in, with Teach First, you get placed in kind of any school in the country. Um, and I was placed in a school in the borough of Newham in East London, uh, inner city East London. And yeah, that was my first school where I stayed there for three years before joining Michaela. And um, what did you, was it kind of a shock when you went back to classroom? I, I remember when I went from uh, the quiet kind of academic life to like a school environment I couldn't believe how noisy it, what noisy it was when I went into into a teacher group I know Michaela is not like that but I assume but most schools are quite noisy places how did you feel when you went went back to school if you like did you look at it with the fresh eyes uh, when you'd been away from the kind of hustle and bustle for a bit um, I don't know I, I do remember my school experiences quite quite well at that point and I had been going into schools uh, so I while I was at uni I went back to my old school I uh, there was a, a school trip that I helped organize where you know pupils from my my old school came to visit me at Cambridge and kind of gave them a tour um, and I'd pop back into my old school to teach some lessons and just get some experience just to be sure that you know this is the profession I want to go into 
so it wasn't a huge shock for me at all. Um, I kind of knew what, what to expect. But of course, what I didn't expect was just how difficult teaching would be um, and just how, how much there is to learn um, and how steep that learning curve is when you're kind of thrown into the classroom. And I think that that was a bit of a shock in some ways. <laughs> okay, but it's, it's a good experience. So No Teach First is, is a kind of dynamic. Um, it was quite an old program now, but when it first started, it was a new way of uh, doing teacher training and getting people into the classroom. Um, and obviously it's it's been a great experience for you because you're still there fighting the good fight in the classroom and uh, teaching science. Um, what was it that made you move from your school in East London to, to Michaela, which I guess at the time was just starting out because Michaela started uh, as, as a free school is that correct? Yeah so Michaela opened in 2014 which is the year I started in the classroom um, so I, I think that I mean the reason I, I moved school was because I just heard lots about Michaela and I was really interested in the culture the ethos and the uh, the, the way in which they they did things very differently um, and so yeah, the the appeal was very much you know I mean I love my school which is why my the, my placement school uh, which is why I stay there for three years, um, but it was just wanting to try something new. They were in their fourth year, so they were still a relatively young school. Um, with the, when I joined, the Frontier cohort was in year ten, um, and I had the opportunity to teach uh, year ten and a year nine class when I joined, and it was just incredible just to see what it's like to work in a, a brand new school where the ethos and the culture were, 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 you know, instilled from the very start and we're still developing. And, you know, even till today, we've got a full school now. Uh, we have all seven year groups filled up to sixth form, um, but it's still changing so much. There's still so much new that's happening. So uh, like, I guess any new uh, startup in the business world or new school in the education world, there's, there's that kind of excitement factor. And, um, and also, you know, Michaela is a trailblazer in many ways. Um, and so it's just incredibly exciting uh, place to work. And what kind of um, differentiates Michaela from other schools? Because it is obviously got a clear, if you like, brand, I suppose. But I mean, is it, is, I think it's hard to describe to people what, how it's different from what I would call a standard, say, comprehensive school, I guess. Um, what is it that you'd say Michaela does different? It might be at multiple things. Maybe it's too many things to mention. But is there any kind of key ideas that you think that Michaela really um, emphasises in their school culture? Yeah, I think I think it is just that it's the culture and it's the clarity of what uh, needs to happen in a school. Um, and there's no there's there's no hesitation about saying this is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't do. And this is what we expect consistently of all teachers um, in all aspects of school culture. So because every decision is so firmly rooted in, you know, these key values that permeate the school, um, and they're not kind of generic values. So like lots of, um, uh, I mean, that, that, that's why there's so much disagreement uh, that happens when people come and visit Michaela and people hear about Michaela, it definitely polarizes opinion. Um, but it's because, you know, you know, teachers at Michaela and Catherine, uh, our head isn't afraid to take a stance and say, this is what I think, this is what I think we should do. Um, and the decisions all stem from those values. So believing in, uh, personal responsibility, believing in doing your duty, uh, believe in teachers, you know, leading the learning from the front. Like these are all uh, positions which uh, 
yeah, we, we, there's great clarity on in the staff body. And I think that is because there's a set way, you know, this is the, the correct, the, the best way we think it is to teach a lesson. Um, that is at odds, you could argue with, you know, teachers who really value their personal autonomy and wanting to do things the way they want in their classroom. Um, and Michaela says, no, the consistency is really important in some ways. Um, but of course, you bring your personality to the classroom and it's, it's all very nuanced. But, uh, so these are just kind of headlines and but I'm speaking in broad terms here. Uh, but that clarity of culture is, I think, what sets Michaela apart. Um, and yeah, the staff are incredibly united in that sense, which means that running this, it, the school is run in a way that's quite unique. So it's kind of, it's very, I get the impression it's very specific about um uh, it's expectations and, and what should happen in certain situations which some schools struggle with because obviously there's, there's there are a variety of situations that happen in schools every day um, and making decisions about whether it be pupil behavior or response to parents I get the impression that there is almost like a system in place for all those different strands of school management is that would that be true yeah definitely I mean I think yeah systemizing things is incredibly important but also because everything is, as I say, rooted in values, and we talk about values all the time, it means that even in kind of when there's new situations that arise, your if staff's instincts are aligned in that sense, then that's what helps make a really cohesive school. And you know, Catherine always says we row together at Michaela, and I think that that's that's really important in running a school as well. Apologies for this brief interruption to this episode of the podcast. But I just wanted to say, if you're listening to this before September 29th, 2021, there's an opportunity, especially if you're a teacher, for you to attend an online Edexcel Science Network event. Although it's run by the Edexcel team, the content is suitable for any exam board. And on the 29th, we're running some training with special guest Adam Higgins, who is a teacher based in Essex. He will be running through some key strategies to help you support your low attainers in science this year. If you'd like to join us at 4pm on that day, just type in Pearson Professional Development Academy into your favourite search engine and in the search box at the top type in Adam Higgins and the event will appear. You can then book your place in the webinar. Space is limited so please book as soon as you can. If you're listening to this after that date you'll just have to ignore this message. That's all for now let's get back to the podcast. So um, you mentioned your head teacher Catherine Burbel Singh, who's obviously been an inspirational character within the educational world. Uh, how important? Obviously, she's extremely important to the, to the school. But do you think that culture of uh, the way that um, uh, the, the school is run could that be transferred to other schools, or is it dependent on uh, people like Catherine? It's, it's obviously got to lead that. Um, but could it be translated into a different school and, and put it in the middle of, um, I don't know, in the middle of Norfolk or something? And would it still would it still work um, if you had the right principles, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's the and, you know, Catherine says this herself. It's the the ideas and the, the values that are the things that that ultimately drive a good school. Um, but of course, you need someone there who is clear about those values and is clear about what the right ideas are. And uh, Michaela, Catherine is that person and everyone is learning from her at the school about how to how that translates into what running a good school, running an excellent school, in fact, looks like. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely, you know, the ideas are transferable, the values are transferable. Um, but it's about understanding the values and understanding how they work in practice in a school. Um, which is what Catherine has executed so brilliantly at Michaela um, and so is able to demonstrate what that looks like um, in real life. 
And I assume now, because of the well uh, proven success of the school, I guess the pupils are kind of knocking down the door to to enter the school. Would that be is it oversubscribed at the moment, or is it you know is a real um, groundswell of families who want to have their children go to your school? Yeah, I think so. I think as the school's grown, that's definitely been the case. Um, and I know that Catherine says often that there are the disappointed parents at the end of the phone line, you know, really wanting their child to have a place. But um, it works on a lottery basis. Like all the Brent schools are run on a lottery basis. So, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. Um, it's all completely random. Is it? Uh, well, it's as in you, I think it's something like you have six choices of schools that people put, parents put on the forms. Um, and just if you're, if, if you're, if, if the school appears on that list, then you have a chance of getting in and it's done by lottery. So, okay. So, so in a way it's not so, it's not self-selecting the sense that your success might bring you a certain type of, you know, um, parent or pupil that in Brent, there's, there's still that randomness that means you, you know, you're really are serving the whole community, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think even the preferences that you, you put six preferences, but I don't think the order even matters, I think. So it is quite, uh, it literally is luck of the draw. And uh, what, what's your community like? What, what, what your students like? Could you, I know it's hard to kind of uh, do a broad brush approach, but is there particular characteristics of um, your particular school um, compared to another, for example? Um, or are they just kids and you just manage them a particular way? Yeah, no, they're, I mean, largely they, if we're talking in terms of demographic, they are, most of them will have English as a second language. Uh, most of them are from, um, you know, not particularly economically advantaged backgrounds. Um, and obviously that comes with, you know, it, that means that we have to tailor what we do in a certain way. So for example, um, lots of our pupils, uh, we know from looking at their reading ages, for example, don't read enough at home. So, you know, there's always a big push on encouraging kids to read more because obviously that's such an important factor affecting your success in school yeah and because not not you know not necessarily all people speak English as their first language at home um you know that language is some language acquisition and improving English language uh is is a big focus as well but yeah generally it's just representative of you know Brent inner city kids so <laughs> Um, yeah. typical of, of, of any kind of big urban environment I guess yeah yeah exactly exactly and so you're, you're head of head of science head of department there so what kind of team are you, you running we're going to look into the science bit now so have you got a team of six teachers eight teachers is it 20 how big is your department and uh, how many people you know do you need to manage yeah so there's 12 of us in the science department so it's quite big yeah and uh, particularly as we have grown our sixth form we've got obviously got our three science A levels um, so it is quite a big department. But yeah, I mean, teachers teach across the sciences, except for A-level where they specialise. You're listening to the View from the Lab podcast. Stay tuned to the end as Pratesh reveals his favourite science books and recommendations for improved science teaching resources. So in your kind of science science team, what do you do for your professional development? Do you have particular, do you just use your inset days as other schools do? Or do you, is it more kind of a, a weekly check-in with what people are doing in classrooms? I know that you've generally got an open door policy, is that correct, in Michaela? As in teachers can wander in and out and see what's going on in other people's classrooms. So what do you do to try and improve your teaching and learning at, at Michaela, in science particularly? Yeah, so there's, I mean, being a head of department at Michaela, I think is quite different to lots of other schools because um heads of department have a lot more time to uh you know off timetable where we're going into lessons and seeing what's going on in the classroom and 
you know, we have a, a huge culture of low stakes observations, you know, going in frequently to teachers' lessons, giving them, you know, dropping them feedback, um, and then really picking up what are the common themes in the feedback, um, and then helping teachers practice specific things that they need to get better at. Um, so kind of deliberate practice kind of model of improving teaching and learning. Um, we also, in terms of improving uh, teaching and learning in the department, in our department meetings every week, that's often a big focus is something to do with teaching and learning and uh, just, you know, drawing together themes that have come out in kind of observations that week um, and then just talking as a department about how we can improve or how we can get better or uh, what changes we can bring in to help us refine our practice um, and just sharing good practice because there's, you know, we have lots of new teachers. We also have a wealth of kind of more experienced teachers to draw from. And so just having that range of experiences and and people sharing ideas, people going in to observe each other uh, and magpieing ideas that is forms a large part of what we do in terms of teaching and learning. It's a real kind of positive kind of collaborative atmosphere. I was thinking a question occurred to me because um, being also a science teacher, an ex-science teacher myself, is that I wondered how uh, Michaela um, maybe integrates the staff with, with others. My impression and my experience of science departments is often in the break or lunchtime, they lock themselves away in their prep room or have a chat to the technician and they don't tend to mix with other teachers. And that's just my experience of schools I worked in. But is Michaela different or is there still a little bit of that kind of uh, science team attitude where we're just going to um, have a chat to our colleagues? How, how is it in Michaela? I'm sure it's not like that in Michaela. No, it's really interesting. So we don't actually have um, um, department rooms or offices. It's We just have a big main staff room. Um, and so, you know, I mean, a lot of the science teachers work in the staff room and that me alongside lots of other teachers. So just there's lots of interaction with other other teachers all the time. Yeah, so I'd say it's very, very mixed. They're mixing well. Good. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Um, <laughs> so um, thinking about um, kind of the, the style of teaching, there's a big emphasis in Michaela on direct instruction teaching. So mm -hmm. some people might say, you know, di you know criticise that as being too didactic. Uh, how would you respond to that criticism? What is what are the advantages of the way things you do do uh, auto three teach science and Michaela? Yeah, so direct instruction simply means that the teacher is teaching from the front of the classroom and isn't what has become common in science education, which is t uh, facilitating learning. So we don't do group work at Michaela. Um, we don't set them off on tasks where they're wandering around the room and you know doing activities the act you know all the, the kind of action that's happening in the lessons is teacher giving lots of explanation and asking you know millions of questions to the kids and the kids responding in whatever way uh, you know I will talk about some of the strategies later on um, so it's highly interactive and I think it's really easy to characterize mischaracterize direct instruction as being you know a teacher still at the front lecturing the class um, but really it's it's so dynamic and you walk into you know as you walk if you ever have the chance to visit Michaela and you're kind of wandering around whether it's maths English science humanities French you'll just hear constantly you know chatter in, in the classrooms because the teachers are asking questions and the kids are responding um, and that's pretty much forms the, the majority of what lessons look like in the classroom so it's very highly teacher guided but it means that the rate of learning is phenomenally high and you know the the, feed, the amount of feedback that our kids get is extraordinarily high because in a in a lesson I might ask 70 80 90 questions and that's 70 80 90 opportunities for the kids to get feedback um 
the kids will do lots of independent tasks where they're answering 15, 20, 30 questions in a lesson on their own. And that's again, which we then do whole class feedback for another 20, 30 opportunities for them to get feedback. So, I mean, if anything, the, the amount of interactions that happen between teacher and pupils are extraordinarily high in direct instruction, which is what I think give, makes it such a successful strategy for learning. I mean, as, as you say, there's lo- there's lo- you're asking loads of questions. I was thinking when you're asking that many questions, um, in a sense, are you, are you predefining those questions before you start? Are they literally in front of you? Um, or do they come to you because you've done that lesson quite a few times? Is it literally you've got some some kind of, if you like, help to remind yourself what are the best questions to ask for this particular part of the topic? How do you decide what are the best questions to ask? So planning is a huge, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time uh, to plan lessons well. Um, but there's two ways in which we plan lessons. One is we write centrally produced resources as a department and that will contain lots of high quality questions and key ideas for pupils to master each lesson. But also teachers will, I mean, the way teachers plan at Michaela is they look at the, the lesson, uh, which has been sequenced and, you know, centrally, as I said, but then thinking, right, what is my destination in this lesson? By the end of this lesson, what questions, what kind of questions do I want my pupils to be able to answer? Or what kind of sentences do I want my pupils to be able to say? And then planning backwards from there. So thinking, right, by the end of this lesson, my pupils need to be able to understand, you know, what the structure of the atom is, what the subatomic particles are, uh, what their charges are, what their masses are. Okay, so I've got that clear. So you start with your explanation and you decide, right, what am I going to draw? What am I going to explain? And you present a tiny chunk of information and then you ask a question. And it might be as simple as just reframing or putting into a sentence what you've just said. Um, or getting them to make very small inferences from what you've said to them. Um, And eventually your questions build up in complexity. So they're piecing together more and more information based on what you've presented. Um, So when you're planning an explanation at Michaela, you are also planning your questions. They're kind of tied together inextricably because, you know, you reveal some information, you check, check, have they been listening? Have Have they understood? You present a new bit of information. Have they listened? Have they understood? Um, and in that way, the questions will become apparent to you as you're delivering your explanation. Um, so it might be as simple as, you know, right, so here, you know, picture of an atom, this is an atom. Uh, atoms contain three subatomic particles. Subatomic means smaller than an atom, uh, protons, neutrons, electrons. Okay, what do I mean by subatomic? First question, what are the three subatomic particles in an atom? Uh, great, so that's already you've got your, you presented two, three facts and you asked two or three questions and then you move on, you say, right, in the middle, we have something called the nucleus, right? I say, you say nucleus, and they all shout the word nucleus up just to make sure they're pronouncing it right. This is how you spell nucleus. You write it out on the board, right? Cover it up. How do you spell nucleus? Tell your partners. So it's like every bit of information you're presenting, you're just getting them to rehearse because, I mean, I, I guess that the two underlying principles there are, we say, never assume the pupils are listening to a word of what you're saying and never assume the pupils understand a word of what you're saying. And so that helps you kind of build in two types of question, like have they listened to what I said to get them to say back to me what I've just said to them. Um, but then the second, obviously, that's very superficial and that doesn't necessarily show they've understood. It just shows that they, they've listened. So that's one level. But really what you're getting at is have they understood? So then you might start asking questions right? which subatomic particles are in the middle, which are not in the middle. Um, use the word electron in a sentence, you know, things that aren't just parroting back what you're saying, but are really getting them to think about. Can I use this word in a sentence? Have I? Can I demonstrate that I understand uh, 
that the can I get the people to demonstrate they've understood what this word means? Um, and so in that way, very small chunks of information, lots of questions, and that's how we build up in our lessons. And is there a particular so when you're thinking about the way that the lesson is um, constructed, is it is it do you have a particular kind of time constraint in terms of, you know, it's always five minutes questions, 10 minutes explanations, five minutes questions, 10 minutes independent practice, five minutes questions. Is it kind of set out like that? Or was that too much of a geeky kind of, is it that strict as it were in a sense? Um, no, but it's something that we're thinking more about actually at the moment is definitely we want, like speaking for too long isn't very helpful because you're then giving pupils too much information to grapple with and not enough chance to consolidate on their own so definitely once you've spoken for five I mean it will vary with the age with the class with the concept uh, some concepts you just can't finish in a five minute explanation it has to be a 10 or a 15 minute explanation and that's fine um, but then I think setting independent practice after a chunk of instruction is crucial in a lesson to give people the opportunity to just think right okay I've just learned five new words what on earth are they let me just check I know them for their own kind of clarity, but also for you as a teacher, <laughs> you know, if you're speaking nonstop and asking lots of questions, it is exhausting, it is tiring. Um, and so it's a chance for pupils to consolidate, for you to have a little break and you can kind of go around and see what the kids uh, are writing down, um, which can then inform your next steps of your explanation. So as I say, you know, direct instruction is highly interactive. It's all about constantly collecting data about what your pupils um have understood or not understood and then tweaking your explanations and your questions in response to that it's really hard to do and it takes lots of practice and uh, this is why lots of feedback and observations between teachers is really important this is why it's so important we talk about this all the time as a whole school and as departments um, because it is really hard to do and it's really hard to get right um, but it's what we aim to keep delivering so that lessons are high quality consistently and I was thinking uh, one of my questions was about you know is it a tiring process in terms of it takes out a, a lot of you teaching you know and you're asking questions and maybe you have six lessons per day or five six lessons per day um with you know small breaks maybe you've got uh, a duty in the, the break time maybe you've got to do the bus duty at the end of the, end of the day it's quite in, quite, quite intense uh, experience I guess but um mm. my understanding Michaela is that there are kind of systems and protocols that make it easier I suppose in the sense that um my impression I do want to visit Michaela is that there's a certain way lessons are started for example so students know um the protocol about what they need to do when they come in the room uh what they need to get out how they need to show that they're ready and which obviously have then helps the teacher know this is the right time to start Whereas in many schools, um, you know, that's a bit amb ambiguous and you, and you get it different things in different different classes. Is it is it consistency across different subjects, Michaela, or just within the science department in the way you start a lesson? Yeah, I mean, this is where you're absolutely right. Consistency is hugely important. Uh, kids know exactly at Michaela how to start the lesson, how to end the lesson. Uh, and so do all teachers. It's really clear. Um, they come in in silence. They're, you know, filing into the lesson. They unpack their equipment, stand behind their chairs. Uh, teacher says to them, take your seats. Teacher says to them, hand your books out. And then they're usually in science lessons, we all start lessons in the same way with some quick questions, like recap questions uh, for them to answer. Um, and so by routinizing that, you just, I mean, there's one, it, it's something you don't really have to think actively about. 
Um, and so it definitely helps. And the kids are so used to it as well that, you know, once, you know, they, they've become established at Michaela themselves, you can, the instructions can be really brief. They can be really snug. It's like pack away some on your chairs. And they know that means in silence. They know that means they need to do it quickly. They know that means, um, you know, they're about to head to their next lesson. And so it's, you know, with the routines comes the, the consistency, but also the certainty for the pupils with knowing what to expect. Um, and that is hugely helpful in managing a classroom for the new teachers that join Michaela as well. Mm, it's so important. I mean, so many schools that I've worked in don't pin that down enough. And there is a bit of a free for all, to a certain sense, you know, different lessons, different people doing different things. I think mm. that is a, a great um, uh, focus for, for teachers to be able to get on with what they're, you know, obviously they're there for and for the students to understand their expectations and um, makes everything you know, straightforward for everyone to get to get through the day and, um, you know, for progress to be made. So it's really, uh, I guess that's really helpful within the in the Michaela community. That's a good that's a good example of what we were saying earlier with, you know, this is where whole school clarity is so important. And Catherine knows, okay, this is I want this from all of my staff. Um, and you know, some staff might think, oh no, I value my autonomy too much and I, I would rather do my own thing and I'd rather and some schools and that's fine, you know, if uh, some schools think would prefer to run their schools in a way that each um, you know, teacher has their own set of routines. Um, but, I, but I think that's kind of an example of what I was alluding to earlier, where, you know, where Michaela is different is that things like this are expected, it's expected that they're whole school. Um, and that's kind of part of working at Michaela is that's just part of the expectation. Mm, that's a, that conversation, I think, because I think even in, um, you know, we talk about children understanding expectations and routines, etc. But uh, when we tell any any adult um, what we what we think about, you know, this is the policy or whatever, and you might get ten different answers back when you mm. actually ask those people, what does that policy mean to you? You know, what does a detention mean to you? What does you know? Uh, um, yeah. uh, so I don't think it's just it's just children. I think sometimes you ask adults certain things, and getting that clarity, I guess, is is um, obviously Catherine's strength in terms of what she's been able to create within the school. Um, mm. In terms of the kind of the written questions, so you talk about a lot of obviously audible questions. Is there is when they when you give them a written task, so you've just done, say, you're talking about the atom. Is there a particular way you construct the types of activities you give them, and you know, give them ten minutes? Is it is there a kind of a, a framework in which you can pose those questions that helps the students develop their knowledge, almost like Bloom's taxonomy, I suppose, in terms of basic knowledge and then more extensive knowledge? Do you kind of construct your worksheets or or activities in a particular way? Yeah, I think that that's that's absolutely right. It is just about in some ways breaking down the knowledge so that this question start off with just simple questions. Do they know the key terms? Do they know the individual bits of the explanation or the or the, the parts of the atom? And then they build up to kind of something a bit more demanding where they're having to put together several bits of information or then having to apply that information to a context that's slightly different. And, it will, and the nature of the questions will vary depending on, on the nature of the content. Um, so it might be labeling an atom uh, or labeling a cell, but they might not be labeling if they're, I don't know, giving an explanation of natural selection or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll just vary based on, on the task, but it builds up in complexity um, and you secure the kind of fundamental knowledge first before moving on to something uh, where you're bringing together bits of knowledge. Yeah, I think and there's, there's a lot of confusing language in, in science. So I think that um, I suppose when you're getting towards the heart of the questions, you're doing things like, 
know, how is the nucleus in an atom different from a nucleus in a cell, for example, those, those kind of ideas that you're kind of bringing out and kind of pushing the students on, I guess. Um, I know that Michaela is kind of perceived as being quite a traditional, in a sense, school in, in, in its um, expectations. But um, obviously, EdTech's a big part of um, teaching these days. Um, is there anything, and there's lots of tools out there. Some are, I mean, I used a variety in, in my school time. Some were better than others, to be honest. Um, are there any things that they use in Michaela that, is, that have really helped deliver science in a particular way? You don't necessarily have to uh, mention brand names or anything, but you can just say what the tool was or how you found it helpful. Um, what have you used recently that's been really good for your students or the teachers, maybe? So we only use... I mean, this is true of, of all kind of policies at Michaela, but we always very carefully consider what are the costs of using a particular tool, um, how much effort is involved in using and setting up that tool, and then what what are the what are the impacts. So, I would say, you know, for example, what we don't have at Michaela is we don't have interactive whiteboards, um, which don't necessarily add uh, a huge amount to the learning. That can't be substituted with something else. But we do have visualizers in every classroom, which you know teachers use so that they can annotate work and draw diagrams and write down bullet points uh, to help pupils follow an explanation. Um, we obviously have a lockdown. We started to use Google Classroom to set work, um, and that's something we know we will. I think we're thinking about continuing to use more Google Classroom for submission, particularly when it's like work over the holidays, um, for them to submit um and yeah other things are just i guess you know i know that in certain subjects they use certain online software so hegarty maths uh or uh yeah other ones in in different subjects but you're, there's always a focus on the kind of efficacy for your particular you know what is the outcome and what is the i suppose the the time cost in terms of training people up and i guess there obviously there'll be a financial cost of course as well um, exactly yeah so um, thinking about, so um, I've got a lot longer left, but I wanted some great recommendations from you because because um, you work in such a good school, such a good experience of teaching and learning. Um, is there any books that you would recommend? I know teaching is, I suppose, fundamentally, it's a doing thing. You have to do do the, do the thing to get better mm. at it. Um, but is there any any books you always recommend to young trainees in your department that, that gets and gives some great advice in terms of how you can be be a better teacher? What would you recommend? Um, yeah, I really am a big fan of Teach Like a Champion uh, and we obviously we modify the techniques to suit our context but a lot of the things that we do in at Michaela are uh, you will find those techniques in Teach Like a Champion by Doug Lamov. Uh, it's such a brilliant book and you know there's videos in there where you can watch examples of good practice um, so that's really good. In terms of just general grounding of, of, of what we do as a school, um, uh, why students don't like school uh, is an excellent book as well. I think those two, I would, I would say, are my top two recommendations. Those are the main ones. And uh, what about um, popular science books? So obviously you went to your um, zoology um, where you were a younger man, you're still a young man now, but um, uh, <laughs> is there any kind of things that you give to your super keen students say you've really got to try and read this book if they're really, you know, they, you feel like they're going down a biology route, it's really worth you reading these books. Is there anything that you kind of remember thinking, that's a really powerful book and I think that it really helped me kind of understand the science or just got me into biology in a particular way. What would you recommend? Yeah, so for my A-level biologists, uh, there's quite a few books I recommend to them. Uh, one of them, I mean, there's loads. One of them is Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. It's a classic. Uh, absolutely love that book. 
Um, I also like um, Why Evolution is True by Jerry Coyne. I think those are two quite uh, kind of, they cover a big, big kind of topics about evolution and genes and genetics uh, in biology that I absolutely love. Yeah, I would say those are my top two for science. Those two for science. And in terms of the good old internet, the kind of uh, internet resources, or maybe I know you're on Twitter, um, is there any, any kind of people you either follow a lot or is it as a website you always go to for some resources? What kind of always has something new for you that thinks that's quite interesting? I could use that in the classroom. Um, I, I, there's nothing, I don't think there's any specific resource, but I, I think it's just whatever I come across, uh, articles and things, blogs and yeah, things like that. And do you think, this might be a tough question, it feels like a job interview question, about um, <laughs> obviously being in Michaela's such, it is a unique school and um, I don't know of anyone that has created it in the same way in the UK anyway. Um, will it be difficult uh, to leave one day, whenever that might be, um, to go anywhere else? Is it somewhere you'd like to be t- uh, perhaps there forever or um, as long <laughs> as the teacher's there? Or have you, have you thought about that at all, kind of your long-term teacher life? Uh, any thoughts on that? Gosh, I haven't thought that far ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love my school and I love my department. Uh, I have incredible colleagues there. Um, Everyone just works so hard. Everyone is so thoughtful. Um, And yeah, I mean, (laughs) I haven't thought that far ahead. That's okay. I can't really answer that question. (laughs) And just to finish, um, because I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today, but I always ask my, especially my science teachers, um, their favourite experiment, and whether that be um, something that is either flashy, some people like the flashy ones, other people <laughs> like it because of um, it shows a particular elegant scientific principle perhaps, or maybe it's just an investigation that you've always done with uh, the kids at school and they always get a lot out of it and they always engage in it in a particular way. Is there anything that stands out that's that's you, you would always want to do every year for whatever year group? You can, you can pick your seven, year nine, year ten, whatever you want. Um, is there something you always would like to do every year that you'd never, you'd never say, no, I'm not going to do this this year? I mean, there's, lo- there's loads that I really like. There's some that I love that I haven't actually done in a while. My absolute favourite one, just for, from a beautiful kind of spectacle perspective, is uh, it's called the Northern Lights demo. I think, I don't know if you've seen it. I've not heard uh, of that. No, go on, tell me. I, do, I don't even remember the details of it. It's <laughs> just uh, the, um, it's a reaction between uh, aluminium, I think, and some sort of, I, I don't remember, but it's the, you get these beautiful dancing blue flames in like a conical flask and it kind of whistle. I saw it in my old school. I haven't actually even done it recently. Uh, but in terms of doing practical, I always think um, it's a really simple one, but just looking at your own cheek cells under a microscope, I think it's so, um, it just blows the minds of, of the kind of the S7s when they do it. Uh, that you know this is their cell they're looking at under a microscope um, and you can see it and I think it's such a powerful uh, kind of just a moment in a pupil's life and they think wow I'm looking at my own kind of part of my own body and this is the thing that makes makes up who I am Uh, I think there's something quite profound (laughs) about that experience that I think uh, should happen every pupil should experience uh, when they come to secondary school Definitely, yeah. so it's a great, it's a lovely point to end on. Good old cheek cheek sales. It's, it's an old, it's an old one, but it's a good one, isn't it? Um, thanks very much for joining me, Pradesh, on the on the View from the Lab podcast. I really enjoyed um, having a chat with you. Um, uh, best of luck with the rest of term, and uh, hopefully, I'm going to make a, an appointment to visit Michaela very soon and see what it's all about. But thank you very much for joining me today. That'll be great. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks again for listening to this episode of the View from the Lab podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pratesh. They do things differently at Michaela. Hopefully you can take away some ideas that could work well in your school. Are you a science teacher or a head of department that wants to share what you are doing in your school or college? Please get in touch and email me at andy.woods at pearson.com so I can hear your view from the lab. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you on the next one.